pretty excited to play System Shock 2. I, I'm probably not going to do that anytime soon, but yeah, someday. I mean, you've you've done you've done a shock recently, yeah. Recently. I still have a, I still have a small shock to go, an aftershock, well, just, you might what? say. Podcast over. <laughs> Welcome to this episode of Abnormal Mapping. This is episode 15. I'm your host, Matthew Marco. With me is Jackson Tyler. Hi! Video games, what's up? Uh, the video games, apparently. The video games are up. So, we're here to talk today about uh, Roller Coaster Tycoon 2 um, and game, ad- game adaptations. But uh, first, let's just touch base, Jackson. We are two weeks into our Final Fantasy VII experiment. How far along are you in Final Fantasy VII? About seven minutes. That is that actually that can't be true. No, I'm about an hour and a half. In. I started again, and I because uh, it had been like three weeks since I played the first two hours, and I wanted to go through and tweet along as I go. Okay. And I think that worked out for the better. That game's great. That game has a way more uh, intimate and opening than I assumed it would have had. Yeah, and I think that continues through actually most of the game. Uh, it's the small moments that make that game really evocative. Yeah, like it has that big opening uh, that's clearly a technical showpiece, but it just rushes through that in order to get to Cloud and Tifa reminiscing about their childhood. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, so, yeah, I'm very that, excited uh, to talk that about that water tower scene. Uh, I had moments like that in my childhood. Mm-hmm. I think everyone has. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's good. It's great. So uh, I'm looking forward to when we finally do our cool soge on that. Me too. Some point this month. Not going to put a date on no, it. No, because... Uh, because I'm. We've got three people. I mean, I'm done. I played through disc one, but we got two other people to wrangle, and you're both slow. Uh, I, I'm not slow. I was just doing other. If things. you want to find out what we're talking about, you can watch the last episode, Cool So Gay, where we announce our final. Fantasy or you can VII listen to project. it. What did I say? Read. Watch. Oh. <laughs> no, you didn't say read. Okay. <laughs> our viewers. Our podcast viewers. <laughs> our podcast viewers. <laughs> I mean, we gotta have a term for them somehow, right? Folk. I really just want to talk about Danganronpa today. I know we have a bunch of other stuff going on, but... I haven't, I haven't, I haven't finished it and you haven't played it, so it's a really d- dumb thing to talk about. But go on. No, I'm not going to. It, it's just, You're gonna restrain yourself. Yeah. I'm not gonna play that for a while, well, that's fine. So. I mean, we'll save up stuff for Cool Soge. And I... When we do cool, I, I want to talk about spec ops with you more than we have even. I, th- I thought we were going to talk about that slightly in segment two. Really? Okay, that's interesting. I didn't consider that, but all right. I mean, it's not technically, but it's a little bit. Mm, sure. Well, because it does the same. Well, this is a great conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we're keeping it chill. It's a lazy Sunday. This is a real chill episode, and I'm feeling good about it. There's a chill tone. Uh, there's reasons why it's a chill episode. You'll find them out in segment three, where we sit around <laughs> and uh, twiddle our thumbs for a half hour. <laughs> Look you! 
Don't shoot us in the foot before we get there. I'm just saying. <laughs> we do good episodes and then we do this. <laughs> what else has been going on? My Let's Plays have been pretty good. Nobody watches them. They have. They're, they're good stuff. You should watch them. People should I'm just watch shaming them. anyone who listens to watching my Let's Plays. Are you? Yeah. The Bioshock ones for... aren't up yet. I think that's where I finally hit my stride with what I want to do with those. And they're not perfect, I have, but I enjoyed them. I've had a, had a sneak peek at some of episode one. It's great. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Because I can watch them all. Oh, yeah, that's true. But I'm going to I'm gonna watch them. I just wander around and talk about the things in the environment. Yeah, those are more chill than this podcast. Oh, yeah. Uh, I like... normally just played those straight out of getting out of work, and so I was very low-key and mellow about it. We have new podcast art, courtesy of myself, because I didn't like the prior art I made for this podcast anymore. It was time for a change. It's great. It's, it's all right. I, I feel okay about it. It's pretty great. That font. Uh, I'm most happy with the Androssy looking gold game. The gold game's great. I just really like the font. Okay. Because that's the kind of person I am. I go for the font. Mm. I like that it looks like it fell out of uh, the recall tumbler. Yep, it do- that it does. That's... You got the whole grid effect yep. on the mode 7, whatever it is. That's what I was looking for. Something between like something on a Trapper Keeper in the 90s and uh, glitch art. I don't know. Something. It's a mess. Um, the be- the best part of this is that we have a glitch header now on our side. I know. That's Unintentional, great. but I'm fond of it. It's real good. Yep. I guess that's it. What's been going on with you? I, I played some things. I can't remember. Hmm. Um, I don't think we played that much. I watched a bunch of Doctor Who, but no one's ever going to talk about that. So You are, when you do your I thing. Mean, when I do my podcast about When's, it, on another do, bloody podcast Do you podcast have like an project. actual time frame of when that's going to happen? Some point later this year. Okay, it's actually going to be this year, though. Uh, well, so long as everyone else can watch the things. Okay, that's cool. But I'm going to finish the show first and then actually start hounding people and be like, come on do this the whole the aim in that is to uh have a different person on for each series and discuss their relationship to the show which i think is an interesting way to do talking about television and a way way more interesting than just saying i thought this episode yeah. was good and bad it, it, just have this collage of different it's a very deconstructed you. rewatch podcast format. yeah yeah i'm quite excited to get to that no i think it'll be great i will listen to all of them i refuse to actually partake <laughs> even though you offered uh you should. You should watch. I need some of season four. No, it's fine. Uh, because you'll just be sad and annoyed. Which I already am. Yeah, you I don't, don't recommend we, it. We have too similar of an opinion on that show for it to be actually useful for us to be on that. It's true. It's true. Also, yeah, that's don't how we podcast enough together. It's true. <laughs> we have we have three shows. Christ. Some people do it every week. I don't know how they manage. Um, I don't know. They... They get paid. I don't. Nature Box. <laughs> that's that's the that's the true answer. Nature Box is the answer. Nature Box is the answer. Mm. If you want to sponsor us, please, please. Do. No, no, absolutely not. I don't want a sponsorship for this podcast. You sure about that? I'm pretty sure, actually. I wouldn't mind it. I'd I'd be willing to sell out at a heartbreak. Uh, okay. Sure. I mean, I'm not ad- adverse to it. I'm not actively seeking it out. Nobody listens, I mean, so nobody's going to sponsor Nobody listens, us. yeah. But uh, That's the real problem. I I like this as just a totally amateur thing. Me too, but I don't have any money. Oh, so, 
But I, I'm, you know, <laughs> aiming to be an Olympic podcaster someday. I can't accept money. It's not, it's not a sport. What if it was though? <laughs> what if I would? What if it was? I would attempt I would... to compete. What would be the boundaries of the goals of the game? Um, I think there would be podcast like recording as an event, and also podcast production as an event. Separate but events. How, how would how would you get a golden podcast recording? You sit down with people and are given topics, and you create the best podcast as voted by the judges. So it's a judges panel. Yeah, all Olympic sports are a judges panel. <laughs> Not all of them. Which ones aren't? Uh, I mean, competitive team Racing. sports, I guess, aren't. But no one, you don't, they don't run a sprint, and then someone goes, "That was a really good sprint." Nine out of ten. Diving. Diving, yeah. Figure skating. It's a performance yeah. sport. Podcasting is a performance sport. <laughs> That is a category of sports in the Olympics. I would not call it most of them. Fair. The ones that people really like to watch, I feel like, are all performance sports. The big sports in the Olympics are, like, running. But Does anybody kind of actually watch, watch running in the Olympics? Oh, yeah. Oh. I liked, uh, I always liked gymnastics stuff. Gymnastics is good. The 2012 Olympics were great because everyone got into every sport because Britain was in all of them. And then the ones we happened to be doing well in, everyone was like, we are all into amateur volleyball for 24 hours. Let's do this. I mean, volleyball is a cool game to watch. It's really boring to play, but it's a cool game to watch. It's a great game to watch. Uh, everyone learning that volleyball is actually pretty good. We should stop just watching football all the time. Yeah. It's true in America as well. Yeah. For different kinds. Yeah. I'm way more down on football than soccer, so. Soccer's a better sport. Yeah. They're they're probably both equally shitty, because big sports. Sure. Uh, Given everything, I feel like soccer culture is less gross to me right now. Oh, Oh, yeah, well, because you've you've got all that NFL awful garbage going on. well. This is not a current events podcast. This is a video game podcast. (laughs) So let's end segment one. I played Madden. And no, segment two, we're going to talk about video <laughs> game adaptations. So uh, see you on the other side of this musical break. So for segment two, we're going to talk about game adaptations, and this was actually spurred by when we appeared on the Badland Girls podcast at BadlandGirls.com, and uh, we were asked by uh, one of the hosts, Rhea, what we thought the best video game adaptations were, and we floundered horribly in that moment, I feel like. <laughs> we did, but we knew that was a great question. No, because, yeah, because there's full... We ended up giving some okay answers, but I felt like it... We both felt like it warranted actual fuller consideration. Yes. So that's what we're doing here. Um, I think maybe we should define the term first. Yep. Even though I, uh, cause when people say adaptation, I assume they mean a video game based on a prop, uh, like adapted from, like Spider-Man 2 is based on the movie Spider-Man 2. Yes. Uh, but I also want to talk about, like Batman Arkham Asylum, which isn't based on anything other than the idea I want, of Batman. I want to talk about way wider than that and just... Um, yeah, 
the definition I, of adaptation and what that means in uh, okay. video game space. Because, like, no, sure, go go ahead. I can see the floor. Spider Man Two, for example, is technically an adaptation of Spider Man Two, but it, that's a narrative. That's like when you think about it, that's a story, and it does kind of, it does technically have that story in. But what it really is is an adaptation of the like the tone and the feel of what it would be like to swing as spider-man that's what people remember from that game they remember that it simulates it brings to this play space um this other thing that is recognized which is swinging as spider-man uh and like in that sense a bunch of games with adaptations like you consider the entirety of like sports games their entire intent is to bring into this specific space what it is like like an approximation of another experience oh so uh the too long didn't read of this whole talk is that co-op is the ultimate adaptation yes (laughs) (laughs) no i disagree actually i think co-op is not i don't think co-op counts i think co-op is a deconstruction of thing that's not an adaptation of walking no because it could be i don't know this is this is why the actual definition is meaningless and it's most interesting to kind of think about what it could be. Sure, because if if you extend the if you extend adaptation to co-op, all video games are adaptations. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and because they they all uh, change something that we understand in the real world into a systemized thing that you engage with. Yeah. So I don't want to go that big. No, but I just want to talk about how that that's how video games operate, and baked into their language is converting an understood thing in the real world or in a fictional world into something you can un- interact with. Sure. But I think it's also worth talking about the actual, like, formalized version of an adaptation. That as well, yes. So we'll cover both of those. Sure, why not? Mm-hmm. It's our goddamn podcast. <laughs> it's true. No one's going to stop us. There's no podcast ombudsman coming on. I way. will eventually stop us. You will. But... You can't stop us now, otherwise you'd have no podcast to upload. That's true. I mean, we could just do a short one. <laughs> three minute segments. <laughs> We're out. We're out. Segment three. Rollercoaster Tycoon's terrible. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. Plug zone. Abnormalmapping.com. No, you, All right. you forgot. The, See you next you month. You forgot the part where you shit on me for forgetting the plug zone. Oh, wait. That's just cool Sergey's. Yeah. My bad. Yeah. This is... I run this show. <laughs> God damn it. This is a sensible, well-run ship. So, did you, did, you, did you want to trade off adaptations? Do you have a way you want to take this discussion? Where do you want to start, since we have such a big definition now, suddenly? I, th- I think you should go for... What would you... I think first you've got to say our gut reaction of what we think the our best is coming in, and then as at the end, do you want to do a different gut reaction? No, I don't think I'm going to change my mind. You're not going to change your I mind? Spent, you spent several weeks thinking about oh, so this, what, so, and I came to kind of the same conclusion you did, so, what so is I it? assume we're just going to... What is the best oh, adaptation? I mean, just the thing you laid out at the beginning of what an adaptation is, like, nebulously. Yeah, that's because that's... I started thinking, like... Because I played, in preparation for this, I played the South Park game. Uh-huh. Which is technically one of the best adaptations mm-hmm. of a thing. Of a fictional thing, of specifically a televisual thing, because it captures the essence and tone of, like, playing an episode of South Park just in terms of how it looks and feels and sounds better than Mm -hmm. anything else because the visual style of that show is so well defined and the game when you're interacting with it just looks like that show Uh uh and that rarely happens with anything 
um, in video games. It's always an approximation or a version of uh, a world. You don't actually see the real world or the same thing that you would see in the non-adaptation and then interact with it. Uh, so that's like one way you could take it as being the best adaptation. I don't think it is because I think um, it just wraps that tonal skin and allows you a lot to be in that space around the story that doesn't quite fit and is good in other ways because it's also just a cool role-playing game that Obsidian made. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, alas, because it's South Park thing, if you don't like South Park, you're not going to enjoy this cool role-playing game, which is a shame. Yeah. That's <laughs> why. Yeah. yeah. That's, how, that's where I'm at, yep. because I find South Park kind of intolerable. Oh, it kind of was. It kind of was. But the the game was fun, so I enjoyed that. Uh, and But I was glad I played it for this, because as an adaptation, you can see it's one of the most... Uh, like quote unquote perfect, but that kind of makes it less interesting because it's just it just is the thing it's trying to be. Mm-hmm. There is no uh, representation here. Whereas, like, right. wait, what would you? What was your? What would, what's your one? What's your go-to? Well, I wanted to talk about two very different kind of semi-obscure games okay. as like the example of the spectrum. All right. So on one side you have the Hunger Games Girl on Fire iOS game. Which is made by Adam Saltzman, uh, who made Cannibal, if you don't know. Uh-huh. Uh, and is an endless runner where you're just Katniss running through the forest trying to escape, like, drones or whatever sent by the, uh, uh Pan Am or whatever, mm-hmm. the government, to kill you. Uh, and it is an adaptation of nothing that happens in those movies, but absolutely captures the tone of the thing that people really latched onto yes. in especially the first movie, mm-hmm. which is this feeling of the pressure of the games and people coming after you. And it, it systemizes this very pure emotional response to this thing where an endless runner is ultimate, like ultimately always a hopeless game. Cause you'll always lose. Cause that's what those games are. They're endless runners. Uh, and you have a character who is trying to escape with their life because you have the context of the uh the thing being adapted, the Hunger Games, where, you know, you go in there and you win or you die. And you will always end up losing this game because that's what it is. And I think that captures uh the tone better than any sort of, like, traditional licensed version could. Oh, imagine if there had been, like, a third-person action Hunger Games. <laughs> so the other spectrum of game adaptations, uh even though this is an ironic one is the uh great gatsby flash game yep which is the great gatsby as turned into a 16-bit <laughs> side-scrolling platformer it's uh, pretty great uh which is exactly like so many games that existed in that era and even now you get not as much as you used to but you get licensed games that are just oh here's a platformer based on a pixar property um and it even goes so far into its uh commentary that one of the bosses, because how do you make bosses out of a thing like the Great Gatsby, is the giant face on the book cover. The disembodied, like, eyes and a mouth that is on the cover that everybody knows from when they read oh, that book Oh, that's in fantastic. Do you have to fight uh, a car at some point, or are you in the car? I don't remember. I don't remember. <laughs> it's been some time since I played it. Uh But that, I think those are kind of the spectrum of where adaptations fall. You either have 
something that captures the essence, like Spider-Man 2. I mean, Spider-Man 2 also tells the story of Spider-Man 2, but yeah, That's not the part anyone remembers. Like The part that people remember is that it captures what it feels like to be the Spider-Man. Yeah, and I think that that's an important point, is that all the best adaptations, for the most part, of of that style, that are intent on capturing the tone or replicating a certain thing, are... all have this remarkable level of specificity and are basically focused on one action or one event. Mm, I think there's a one big. I mean, uh, I know, the, I know the big exception. <laughs> I, Do you? You can say Batman. Yeah, I'm gonna say Batman. <laughs> which I think that is also one of the other type, which is trying to put. Uh, uh, sorry, because there's all there's the mechanically focusing very specifically on a thing or some the mm-hmm. tone or emotion representative of what you're trying to adapt. Or there is yeah. putting this kind of like tonal and aesthetic skin on an established game type. Yeah, which is your Super Star Wars, your Aladdin for the SNES or Genesis. Mm-hmm. That's those type of games. Your, uh, and your, of, um, those... your uh, Dante's Inferno. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think those type of games can actually be really interesting. Uh, the One of those I wanted to bring up in this discussion is the Lion King game, which takes a a movie that doesn't actually have a lot it has a lot of like narrative conflict but not a lot of physical conflict and just mostly makes a platformer where like the musical sequence i just can't wait to be king involves a level where you're like jumping on giraffe heads because that's what happens in the song thing uh it just turns moments of the movie into stages in a way that doesn't feel forced yeah uh and allows you to reenact segments of the thing you like it's a very traditional adaptation game but i think it does it better than most like aladdin's a lot of running around rooftops and fighting guards which aladdin does for about 10 seconds in the beginning of that movie and then never again <laughs> yeah that's meanwhile yeah that's not like, how aladdin goes lion king has like oh here's a timon and pumbaa gathering bugs and here's the stampede of wildebeests and stuff like that things that make sense in the breadth of that movie and its adaptation yeah uh, but that's probably the only real traditional one that I'm going to bring up. Mm-hmm. I think Batman kind of counts as that. I don't think so at all. I think it is a combination of the two, but... Do you just want to talk about Batman then? Let's do that now, yeah, because that's where okay. this is heading. We are talking specifically about Arkham Asylum. Yep. Because they immediately ruin it afterwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Arkham Asylum, uh, WB game from 2008? Nine. Nine. Nine, okay, is a original story because there is a comic called Arkham Asylum. It is. The it is game not has that. nothing. To do. <laughs> I mean, I would love I would to love see a game, see version, a of game version of that. It'd be, what would that be? Uh, it would be like Dear Esther. No, it'd be a horror game. I mean, Dear Esther. Uh, like, there's a reason they made that amnesia thing because Dear Esther isn't a horror game, but it has all of the underpinnings that it could be a horror game. Okay, well, which is which is what that graphic novel that's a good batman novel yeah it's great uh it's actually a really terrible representation of batman but because of it it's a beautiful like one-off thing oh yeah it's just a cool thing not i don't mean mm-hmm. as a batman thing it's good i just mean it's a cool thing to read a bit of the coin yeah it's a good piece of art it looks fantastic i wish comics looked that good all the time or just oh the, they would cost like 20 dollars and it would <laughs> never come out worth it um but Arkham Asylum casts you as Batman uh, in a version that seems adapted from the animated series, because you have Mark Hamill as a Joker and Kevin Conroy as Batman. 
but sets it in a more video game world. It it actually isn't a animated series thing, even though it has the voice actors. No, it's, it's just, not a movie thing, even though the Batman suit looks more movie esque than most. Just a Batman thing. It's like yeah, it's it it is takes all of the various versions of Batman's adapted forms and turns it into something built for video games because. While it's telling a very Batman story, it's also an investigation slash exploration slash like third person brawler. And I think it does it all in a way that really evokes what it is mechanically to be the Batman as defined by like a modern thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially if you're, if you only know Batman from, oh, like I watched the movies or the cartoons, like in a more like comic book adaptation, there'd probably be less fighting. In a game like that? Yeah. It would probably just be an adventure game, but, uh, I mean, it's also a huge big budget game, and I think it actually captures the feeling of, oh, this is a character that's actually really fragile, even though he's incredibly powerful Mm -hmm. and really smart, so it's all about positioning yourself to be able to do a lot of damage and then fall back into the shadows, when it's not about crawling through ducks and uncovering clues, which is also a full-on Batman thing. Yeah. And I think it it... crosses the bridge between being a straight adaptation of the property in a more traditional sense, but also being a really good mechanical exploration of what it is to be Batman. It's it's both. They're kind of lucky that Batman fits so well onto established game formulas because it's it borrows from like your Metroid stuff and with this it this world. Borrows from it, but I think the way they put it together creates a very unique experience. No, I agree, but I I wouldn't put it wholly in like uh, this is a thing created specifically for. No, but they created a new type of third-person action game in the way that Gears of War created, like, a new type of shooter. Yeah, no, it's true. Like, a genre of Batman-alikes exists now. Oh, and they're all terrible now. They're not that bad. No, I mean, even the Batman sequels are bad because they introduce an open-world element because video games, and it removes a lot of the, the small scope, this is what the, it means to be Batman. The entire and the point, narrative, the, yeah, the narrative veers way more into nonsense. The entire point of, like, the way those mechanics have any effect whatsoever is because you are contained and trapped in this environment and fighting to get out. Mm-hmm. Like, that is why that game is the way it is. If you put that in an open world, it loses all effect. Yeah. It's, it's like, Arkham City's not an awful game, but it's, no, but know. it's also it's also a matter of Batman inherently is a reactionary character. Yes, and Arkham Asylum pits him in a reactionary situation. Arkham City, you have an open world. Open worlds are inherently proactive mm-hmm. because you go to points and do missions. It's not I'm trying to get out of here or trying to reestablish the status quo and things keep getting in my way, which is what Asylum I mean, is. They they do set Arkham City up as as that because he is. Like locked up flimsily, but then flimsily. you fly around yeah. for hours and do like race missions. Yeah. Like it all falls apart in the actual mechanics part. No, it, it totally does, but they do at least give a bit of lip service to that idea because without that, like, why is this a game at all? Mm-hmm. Like the fact that Batman is powerless at the start of Arkham Asylum, and then eventually you become full on the Batman, the Bat Dash Man. I mean, he's not powerless. Like he still can take out people. No, but compared to like when you like, the the like progression through that game of acquiring different gadgets, yeah, is satisfying and um in a way few upgrade paths in those types of games are, are able to be mm-hmm. because of the like narrative situation, the yeah, fragility presents, of Batman and the in the it presents gameplay. it not as you gaining upgrades, but at the beginning of the game you were caught off guard by the situation. And you just didn't have all of your stuff. Mm-hmm. 
So it's not, I am getting more powerful, it's I'm going and finding all of my things to get to be where I know I should be. Yeah. It is reestablishing the status quo, which is Batman as all-powerful superhero and everyone else in jail. Yep. Which is inherently what all Batman status quo is. Yep. And this is discounting the end of this game, which is appalling! Yeah, I mean, there's problems with the game for sure, but... By and large, I think it's one of the best adaptations, certainly the best big-budget adaptation in video games, I think. Probably. Almost certainly. In, like, in like traditionalist sense uh, of being a story told off of a property and being also a great mechanical game in its own right. Yeah. That feels consistent with what the character represents. Mm-hmm. I think it does it all. I think it's one of the best games of the last generation it, it's of a fan- console it's games. It's a fantastic game, and it does have that. It just... The, in terms of like a game that makes you feel like you are playing as a character that is understood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the same I way think. Spider-Man 2 does, but I think it does it way better than Spider-Man I think, 2 does. Well, Spider-Man know. 2 has one mechanic that does that, and yeah, the rest swinging. is just kind of, you fight and I guess you have Spidey sense. Which, I mean, a game from a contemporary of Spider-Man 2 that did this probably better, even though it's a worse game, is Hulk Ultimate Destruction. I love Hulk Ultimate Destruction so much. Yeah, I mean, it's not a, an amazing game because the combat actually isn't very interesting. But The feeling it, of just, like, careening through yeah. the streets and up walls and jumping. Yeah, because Hulk can just run straight up walls and can jump over buildings and just pick up cars and turn them into boxing gloves. Uh, yeah, you become this huge, powerful, like, smashing toddler, which is what the Hulk is. And, a, by the way, a thing video games are really good at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Ever since Grand Theft Auto 3, making you a giant smashy toddler is all open world games. Yep. And, like, that game specifically uh, lost... Because that is that formed, like, the basis for what would then become prototype mechanically. Mm-hmm. And separating it from this, one, from an understood thing... Uh-huh. And two, from um, it being this giant guy who can't... Like, who's out of control, making it this pure power fantasy rather than representing something, it lost almost everything that was cool about it. Like, prototype's fine and fun, and you can jump and destroy everything, but Hulk, like, you never feel out of control. You never feel like you're, you never feel like to a purpose beyond you are the powerful person who can destroy everything. Mm -hmm. Which is a shame, because I'd love me some Hulk Ultimate Destruction. Yeah, for sure. I do too. This is your time to present that. Oh, is it? Is it, oh, are we going to me now? Uh, yeah, I I didn't have anything to say off of that. Okay, hang on. Another game, I assume. Yeah, I mean, you could talk about whatever you want. It's an open-ended discussion. I, we didn't bring this up earlier, but this fits into mm-hmm. uh, the um, idea of. Uh, something very specific, uh, being an adaptation in, in terms of like a very, doing one thing. And mm. cause it's just a, a, a single joke. But that Zoe Quinn waiting for Godot game is the best. Yeah. And maybe the purest form of the, that entire, like that idea of like in the language of video games, capturing what that, the essence of that, uh, story is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just the loading screen. It's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, and, and I, like, obviously there are games that do it in like an actual 
we have developed a system way, but that's essentially what some of the best adaptations are, is they are transferring this specific thing from one language or one understood like medium to another. Mm-hmm. And and that's one that I thought I should mention, because it's great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I actually have two examples uh, that I thought of that are games that, by being adaptations, actually pushed video games as a thing forward, which I think kind of is... My ultimate argument is, while I think most adaptations are bad, and we can talk about Dante's Inferno in a second when we talk about that, um, I think it's really useful that video games try to adapt things that maybe are out of their breadth. Yes. Uh, and the two things I wanted to bring up were Goldeneye uh, for the N64. Yes. Which, uh, at this point, is a, sh- like a, a first-person shooter that is not fun to play for someone in 2014. But at the time, it redefined what a console shooter could be and was, like, even pre-Half-Life was an example of shooters trying to break out of the format of running around in a Doom-like maze and shooting things and giving you narrative reason to explore a space and have, like, a, a mission structure that ties into who your character is and what's going on in the world. And I know that stuff existed in, like, System Shock, but in a more accessible console space, like, that didn't happen before. And now that's just the norm. Like, Call of Duty is built on the narrative drives forward, you're running down a corridor and shooting people. Mm-hmm. But GoldenEye was the first game where, like, hey, you're in this damn level where well, you have to plant these bombs and then, like, disable the security alarms and then dive off the dam before everything blows up. And it's because it was just trying to replicate, A, the events of the movie, but also the feeling of, being a spy like James Bond means going on missions and like doing tasks, which is a thing that a doom like shooter doesn't have in it. Yeah. You're just running through and collecting cards and killing things. And that's great, but that wouldn't be a Bond game. No. And that's what doing and like an adaptation brings is this like outside goal. Like mm-hmm. if you're just developing a game to do a thing and you want to make that the best it can be, but you don't have mm-hmm. a, like a reference point of like any thematic or emotional context of what you're trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. And like that's how a lot of like thinking of James Bond games specifically, like th- th- a lot of them would just yo here's a shooter you can shoot things, but they mm-hmm. all attempted in various ways to have these moments where you felt like you were this character. Uh-huh. Like, I was I remember everything or nothing. I think it was a mechanic beforehand. Just had this strange mechanic where it would just give you a point that said, you made a Bond moment happen, which is when you did a thing James Bond would do. Oh my god. Which is the most, like, naked and poorly, like, um, integrated system possible. <laughs> like, for example, at one point in Everything or Nothing, you climb up into this thing, you blow up a thing, I don't know, and then you're running away through, like, a massage club or whatever, and... Mm-hmm. If you stop and give the naked lady who doesn't realise that you're not her masseuse a massage, then it comes up and says, Bond moments! Great. Great. <laughs> yep. That's terrible. <laughs> yep. It's the worst way to go about making you feel like a character by saying, do a thing to be this character. Mm-hmm. It's completely separated from any like organic system that could be baked into a game. Uh, the other example I had off the top of my head was, uh, Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six, which, uh, was <laughs> apparently or originally a book. The thing is, uh, Tom Clancy 
while he was writing the book, went to Ubisoft and was like, let's make this a game. And was part of the planning of the development as he was writing the novel. Uh-huh. And Tom Clancy, if you didn't know, was, uh, you know, he, I mean, it's, it's hard to realize now, but Tom Clancy was an author. He wrote books about the military and he wanted to like make this a bigger franchise and turn his book. Uh, the book Rainbow Six, I think is about like a, like a SWAT, like a special forces team, uh, into a video game. Oh, the Rainbow Six. Yeah. Ding, um, wait, is it Ding Chavez? I don't, I don't, don't ask me. <laughs> um, yes, it absolutely is Ding Chavez. Okay. Because <laughs> I was looking at a screenshot and Ding Chavez is one of the <laughs> members. So, uh, he went in and helped with the development to create essentially a new genre of game where the book, like turning a book that is all about like this examination and glorification of military tactics, which is a thing that, like, you know, we can look Askins at, Askins at now, but, uh, just like setting aside the moral arguments against that type of game. Like, if you take that idea, it's a really terrible idea for a video game because it's really complicated. But he's like, no, we can make this a game. And Ubisoft sat down and created this game that was a shooter, but, more more importantly than the shooting part was at the beginning of every mission, you have your team and they all have specialties and you set out a clear plan of attack and you create this like diagram of what you're going to do. And this is an N64 game for the record uh, where you explore these spaces and set these plans and then you go and have to execute them. And it turns shooters into like a tactics game and essentially created a genre of game. Like a tactical shooter was a thing that was like a nascent offshoot of like normal uh, shooting games until that happened. And now it's, you know, your rainbow sixes and your splinter cells and even probably a game like the game we're playing next month wouldn't exist without the foundation of rainbow six Mm -hmm. as a game that focuses on the planning. And then the execution is very discrete stages of an action game. And no one would have even like gone there if they were just making a shooter. Cause why yeah. would you? Yeah. The only reason you go to all that effort is to make a thing that felt like this giant military minutia driven book. Yeah. And I, 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 the rainbow six game I got way into was Vegas. And mm-hmm. I, a lot of people are like that. I, I admit I'm talking having never played a Rainbow Six yeah. game. And I, I remember having just probably the most fun I've had playing a military shooter. This is the only one I have, I, I played the Call of Duty, but this is the only one I have like actual fond memories for. And it was, mm. with me and my friend would go through this one specific level. We bet, we, I think we already completed it once, but we went through this one specific level like 50 times over the course of two years, just trying to take everyone down, do the right things in the right order. And there was this meticulous nature to it that was out of place with almost every other kind of multiplayer game that we could play together. Mm-hmm. And because we like to play Halo, Halo's fun, but as a cooperative game, there's not much cooperation there. Doesn't You just kind of both shoot everything and don't die. This encouraged teamwork in this very specific way that clicked and I have like that wouldn't exist without that thing to aim for. So I, mm-hmm. I like Rainbow Six. It's I have memories there. Yeah, but it is very much an example. We create this new type of thing because we are trying to aspire to adapt faithfully. And I, I think that that specific thing applies to a lot of like multiplayer stuff. Mm-hmm. Because, for example, uh, 
you have like not these aren't official adaptations they are taking the ideas of the this thing this tone or specific thing from like other properties and then bringing them into a game space for example space team Oh, yeah, as a Star Trek bridge simulator? Yeah, as, Star Trek, as the idea of this panic of when you have to communicate these things to each other. Uh, that's And not just Star Trek, that comes in a bunch of things. And also that, that you were mentioning last segment about... Um, or you might have mentioned it off-air, I can't remember. Uh, the, explo- the the game with the Oculus Rift and the explosions? Oh, uh, keep talking and nobody Keep explodes. talking and nobody explodes. Yeah, there's both... I like these specific ideas of pop culture moments that we all understand and trying to systemize them in a very interesting way. And they will have like, there's a bunch of those and they all have various levels of success to them. But by aiming for that thing, it just, it just it adds a level of specificity to the experience that I appreciate a lot. And mm. it doesn't cut like great things come from just doing your own thing, experimenting. And we find a lot of cool stuff that way. Yeah. But aiming for something is cool too. Yeah. The idea of how do you wrap this systemized thing around an abstract idea like everyone shouts at each other with techno jargon. Mm-hmm. In and how do we make that a game and then you create something unique? Yeah, that's a that is what ideally adaptations do is they create a interesting thing that is unique from the source material but captures the essence of it. Yep. And ultimately, like, that's what all adaptations, like, whether it's a film to, like, book or whatever, or the other way around, or uh, games or anything, all adaptations try to be I don't that think way. that's all adaptations. Some adaptations take the skin of another thing and use it to make a different point. And I th- sure. Like, that's what the Great Gatsby thing is. Yeah, for sure. Like, it's using this other context to make its own point. Mm. Uh, I think that's totally a valid and, way of doing it. I mean, business. that Great Gatsby game is tongue-in-cheek in pointing out the way video game adaptations often fail, yeah. but it is actually also a really good ad- example in a modern era of what video game adaptations all were at a certain point. Yeah, but it's not a really good example of a of an adaptation of the essence of Great Gatsby. No. No, but it's I'm, I'm saying that that's the other way you can take it. Yeah, but there are a lot of like good video games based on movies or whatever that don't have anything to do with them. like DuckTales is a good video game. Yes. It has very little to do with DuckTales except for the flavor around your actions. No. The, the, the I mean it has the pogo stick. There's no, Scrooge McDuck in the cartoon does not bounce around on a pogo stick. You're kidding he me. He has a cane. You are He has a cane. You are kidding me. The central mechanic of the game isn't a thing from the cartoon. I mean he might do it every once in a while but okay. not in the not in the systemized way that you constantly are doing that. You're never not bouncing. Yeah. If you're not, if you're like the walking... except for the snow level where you can't bounce. Oh fuck a level! I want it to bounce. Why can't I bounce? The whole point is to make it so you can't, and so you feel frustrated and limited by being in the mountains. But this is it's the same. It's it's like an underwater level. Like they it's, all it's suck. meant to make you feel powerless. I hate them less than most people do. But that's a discussion for a different time, I think. It's true, we can talk about underwater levels forever. I think they're often really interesting. Some of them. Uh, the one I always go to is the Ninja Gun Black one, which is appalling! I haven't played that. One day, so I don't my know. friend, one day. When I think of bad underwater levels, I actually think of the uh, Konami uh, Nintendo Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which had a terrible swimming level where there was like a bunch of radioactive uh, seaweed that you couldn't touch but you didn't control well because it was swimming mechanics. 
and uh, all the paths you have to get through is really narrow. It's basically like playing Flappy Bird, but you had to finish Flappy Bird to progress. (laughs) (laughs) Under a time limit also, because you have to use bombs. Obviously. Yeah. Great. Tell me about Dante's Inferno, Jackson. Have you played God of War? Uh, so, in another life, I was a uh, classical literature major. Mm-hmm. So, I really like the Divine Comedy. Okay. Do you like slicing guys up? I like Bayonetta. I hate God of War. Okay, well, I've, have I got some bad news for you? <laughs> so, <laughs> that game opens with a... F- like, Dante... Close up in Dante, he's sewing a cross into his chest, and it's painful to watch. Oh, you mean Dante Alighieri, the 16th century philosopher, satirist, poet? Yes, I mean Dante. <laughs> the protagonist of Dante's Inferno. <laughs> oh, you mean uh, Dante with the red coat and white hair, Dante? I mean Dante from Clubs. I could see him sewing a cross into his chest. I, could, I honestly could as well. <laughs> yeah, anyway, and it flashes back to his... Um, past and then you're just then it, the first like interaction of the- wait, wait 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 okay so i haven't actually played okay. dante's inferno but i've read divine comedy i know a bit about dante Alighieri. so when he was young he had this woman that he met named beatrice who he was deeply in love with but like barely knew he existed and basically he pined for his entire life because she died of some disease when they were teenagers and all of his fiction is about her as like this idealized woman that he is trying to find and reunite with man dante sucks <laughs> but no that's not at all what it's about this is flashing back to him in the crusades dante's a poet not here he isn't maybe he is as well i don't know he's a, he's a war poet what do you want anyway he's in the crusades they should have sent a poet <laughs> they should have sent... <laughs> nobody says that disappointingly <laughs> No, so <laughs> it would be so good if this cross wielding like soldier Dante, when he gets to hell, goes. They should have sent a poet. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> no, I, I. Oh man, <laughs> that would have been a game maybe worth playing because it would have been aware of how dumb it is. I, I don't actually know if this is actually done. I don't know. I'm. I know. I know that the the there's a the person who gives you hints in hell. I think that might be the the actual. Okay, point. so the like the first half of the the <laughs> entire divine oh. comedy. Wait, wait, wait sh- okay, sh- shut up. Yeah, the entire divine comedy is Dante had this vision where like he's basically like the framing device is he's recounting a dream where he dreamed about hell, purgatory, and heaven, and when he got there, he met Virgil. At the beginning of Hell, who was his guide throughout all of the Inferno. And Virgil was uh, Greek. I'm pretty sure Greek. Uh, poet. And because... Oh yeah, then Virgil's the, the guy that gives you hints in the Okay, hell. all of... Because all of the Greeks were in a pre-Christianity era, they all went to Hell. But like a very light version of Hell, because they didn't believe in Jesus. They were in limbo with all of the uh, unbaptized babies. They just go to Hell too. And the spiders in the because black and white. There's no spiders or black and white. In limbo there is. Uh, in Limbo, it's actually kind of. I was making it. I was making a terrible joke about the game Limbo. Oh, just right. Sorry. sorry yep. Good. No, in, in the Divine Comedy, Limbo is depicted like it's in hell, but it's just kind of like there's no God, and everyone's okay. sad because they don't have God. Let me tell but... you the opening of Dark Days Inferno. <laughs> so it flashes back to his time in the Crusades, 
and it's this animated cutscene that's clear like oh the crusades were horrible times and your first interaction as Dante is to just slaughter the inhabitants of this city like the first thing you do uh, as it tutorializes you how to play the game is you're just like full on like full metal jacket like mowing down I mean, it's just, native it's populace it's just in, a, in an area like in one area okay. and they're all come rushing out at you but like are they civilians are I you... think they're fighting for their home but it's implied that they're not like bad people like, you okay. are the bad guy here. Uh, and you just slaughter about 200 innocent men. Like, the whole point was Dante didn't go to hell for being punished. He was going there to report to people what hell was to convince them to be good. No, he he just kills everyone, and then <laughs> then you walk to the next screen, and then in a cutscene, he's stabbed in the back. And then death arrives to send him to hell. And then he stands up and goes, no. And then he fights death. Isn't Beatrice in this game, though? Yeah, she's... Yes, so he fights death... And then okay. Beatrice is dead, and then he goes back into hell to get Beatrice out. Mm. He's he's going. But you, into... you've already you've already beaten death at this point. Yes. So no one else will ever go to hell because everyone's going to live forever because death doesn't exist anymore. Because he, he he he, but he's there to he. What he says to death, death is like you've committed all these horrible things. You're going to hell, and he's like, no, but I'm the good guy. The priest said, and then death's like, yeah, no, come on. And he's like, and then he kills death and then says, no, I will be redeemed. <laughs> Which, <laughs> so he, in the same breath, avoids taking any responsibility for being part in this awful atrocity and then says he'll be redeemed and then has to go take his Beatrice back from hell. It's the dumbest thing. Going through the nine stages of the nine circles of hell, I assume, and fighting various beasts yep. like that giant lady who shoots babies from her nipples. Yeah. Just like in the original book. <laughs> oh, God. Like, I'm horrified on, like, three levels here. <laughs> okay. Nine circles. No, I'm, three I don't need to, of... I don't need to, I don't need to renumerate them. They are, they are clear, I think, <laughs> to anyone who's paying attention. I, I, yep. No, yeah. They, they, yes, yeah, so that game's terrible. <laughs> the best part is that they were, they were talking about how they wanted to make a Jack the Ripper game. So what do you think <sighs> the very real instance, I mean, like, it's one thing to misadapt the Divine Comedy, which is just a piece of literature, but Jack the Ripper was a real serial killer that really, like, you might as well make a Zodiac Killer game. What do you think the Jack the Killer, Jack the Ripper game would be like? You play as Jack the Ripper, obviously, right? You can't play as Jack the Ripper. If, you if they did this to, if they did this to Dante, what do you, of course you play as Jack the Ripper. You play Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> <laughs> Sherlock Holmes is a fictional person. Jack the Ripper was a real crime thing that happened. I mean, Sherlock Holmes versus Jack the Ripper already exists, so I know that's my go-to. So okay, so assuming, but that's also assuming, offensive in a whole different way. <laughs> yeah, but I don't. I don't think. I don't it think might as well be do, like Joe Friday finds the Zodiac Killer. I don't think whatever they or Jack Bauer <laughs> fights Osama bin Laden. <laughs> I don't think whatever they do is going to be necessarily worse than, like, the perception of those kind like, the odd hindsight glorification of those kinds of killers that is just in society in general. Like, mm. I can't imagine whatever they did for Jack the Ripper being, oh my god, I can't believe they did that. But, like, it would fit into the shittiness and the way we see these things and they are represented. Mm-hmm. Like, because the Zodiac Killer, I can see that in 20 years, someone doing a dumb thing like that. Yeah. The way sure. like, that that thing is, um, I guess, not a big thing, but someone. 
Mm-hmm. You know, but if they did it, they would, you would probably play as Jack the Ripper. I mean, the ideal version of the Zodiac killer video game is just an adaptation of David Fincher's Zodiac, where it's, it's just, just you. you scrolling it's just you on. <laughs> yeah, it's that, and you have just a giant like board on your wall where you're just connecting red string to all these pins. That's the video game. Oh, that's what I want. Yep. I, the two films I think of when I think of that is I think of um, Zodiac and I think of Jude Law and side effects going ridiculous bonkers. Oh, sure. I think of JFK, but I think that's like maybe where that trope comes from. On <laughs> that's some probably level. Where, that's, that's a big one, but the, the side effects handled it so stupidly yep. and yet perfectly. Mm-hmm. That's that's something they should adapt. They should adapt the and then out of control every time, investigation. The, the way that would work is every time you make your web, you could like press a button to make the web like the way you see all this play out as a narrative but none of the answers are right and every time you do it your character's like health gets damaged until they eventually die i mean you you also you also have to have if you're making this game if you're adapting that you have to have their family and the deterioration of their real life at the real like you have to represent that maybe in between segments where you build your web you have like a like a day in the life of this character where you're just walking around the house and interacting with your family there would have to be some kind of time pressure and you could choose to spend time on your web or time with your family so we're just redesigning the novelist now yes but that's not what the novelist is actually about the novelist has no time pressure whatsoever and is a lie sorry the novelist you had good ideas I'll play it (laughs) The novelist would have been better if there was a big detective's web. <laughs> you play as ghost detective. Novelist 2 is about uh, the dad in Gone Home. How about that? Oh. Writing his weird conspiracy theory yes. novels. <laughs> yes, please. You travel, you travel back in time to stop the JFK assassination. I mean, that's a, that's a real Stephen King book, for the record. That's it's a, a real one everyone too. book. Everyone's done that. It's the most prevented assassination in the history of assassinations. Well. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> yeah, it's fair. Anyway, video game adaptations. Um, I'd, I'd feel remiss if we didn't mention uh, the Chronicles of Riddick game. I, lo- I loaded that up. Uh, have you played it? Uh, About two-thirds of it. Okay, so you've played way more than me. I just wanted to see what it was before I... Uh, so it it's a first-person shooter, but the opening two hours is essentially a proto-version of the Citadel and Mass Effect, mm-hmm. where you take the Chronicles of Riddick, or uh, I think only Pitch Black actually existed at this point. I think Chronicles of Riddick was in production when they made this game. Yeah, because they were all coming out at the same time. You could experience yeah. the Chronicles Pitch- of Riddick. <laughs> Pitch Black was just a, like, B-movie sci-fi action horror thing where uh, Vin Diesel looks cool and kills a bunch of CG He's monsters. not even the main person in it. He's just the weird no. one. And then does everything at the end because you're like, oh, it was him all along. Yep. Um, but then they make this game where it starts off with you going to prison and you, for just the first 90 minutes, you're just walking around this prison, like, doing favors and getting side quests yep. and exploring the space and interacting with people. And it's really amazing. And the game after that kind of just becomes a first-person shooter. It's not a bad one, but it's unremarkable. I mean, it, the game opens with a first-person shooting sequence as you sure. dream escape from the prison. Oh, right. But the actual prison stuff is amazing because it's not in keeping with either... Chronicles of Riddick as like a big sci-fi action property or Pitch Black is like a horror game or a horror property that probably would have made a decent horror game. But they didn't do that. They just made this first person 
like RPG for a little bit. Yeah. And I think it's a beautiful, like, world informing adaptation. I think it's maybe the thing that people who have played it remember most about all of the Chronicles of Riddick things. Yes. Cause you're just going around to people doing shitty tasks, slowly yeah. building up a reputation. Like, everyone knows you're mm-hmm. Riddick. Yeah. You already have a name, but you, you, you feel super shitty as you get in there. Like, they actually, use the arc of the eight hour whatever game in order to make the escape feel like earned yes which so few games do because mm-hmm. if you're escaping from somewhere you're going to be like captive for about maybe 15 minutes yeah you're really like you're in this area but you don't have any weapons and everyone else is super violent so you actually feel like really threatened by everything around you mm-hmm. And it does a really good job of making you feel small and oppressed by the guards. So when you do escape, it's like, oh, if the guards find me, I am dead. Yeah, and you because I don't have I don't have guns. I have nothing. Yeah, you have dark vision. Yeah, whatever. Riddick eyes. You got a shine job. Ew. <laughs> That's what it's called. You get a shine job. Gross. Got, like metallic <laughs> eyes. He has to wear sunglasses all the time. Gross. I'm just saying. <laughs> Is that what it, his metallic eyes? Is that it's not actually like yeah, because it's not like no, he, he was he, born in the dark or something and just is innately. No, no, better. no. He he got those to exist in like the darkness uh, because you actually don't have it when the game begins. You get it over the course of the game. You have it in the dream bit. Yeah, but uh, once you finish the prison part where you don't have it, you go into this like under the prison. There's like this society that lives in the darkness, and you get a sh- the shine job there. Nice, because you can't. You can't see. You're basically being you're basically being attacked by like these mutant like Morlock creatures. Of course you are. And they're human survivors in the depths of this world, and they're like, there's one way to fight them, and it's to get this shine job, and then you can see in the dark and fight them, and then you come back out and you fight the guards with your newfound darkness abilities. It's actually also, like, formalistically a very early version of what Batman became. Yes. I mean, that's that's clear from the start. Mm-hmm. I, I'm pretty sure there's actual developer lineage in that, too. I'm not sure, but... That's Starbreeze, isn't it? Yeah, but uh, it was also developed in conjunction with Midway. Ro- where is Rock... Is Ro- I some reason I think Rocksteady's in the UK. Um, I think they actually are. Yeah, well, that's probably why. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> Good job. But uh yeah, I just I like that one always comes up like in the best of list and I actually think that part is really good. Yep. The rest of the game is whatever, but that segment is great. Yeah. I like I like a good adaptation. I want to say for like more uh, of this idea you should watch the Errant Signal Star Wars video where he basically talked about that and how all the adaptations relate to Star Wars. And how, like, Star Wars in the 90s, like, for a certain generation of kids uh, who were, like, too young, or too old for the, um, no, too young for the first movies and too old for the later ones, Star Wars in the 90s in video games just existed as this strange systematic exploration. Like, there was the... Oh, you mean, you mean us. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean us. Uh, and, like, you had your TIE Fighter game, you had your lightsaber game, you had your, like, Stormtrooper game, but then now... Star Wars games are just uh, game types and watch the Star Wars skin has been put on. I uh, I almost forgot about this because I actually wanted to talk about them. My two Star Wars go-tos. I know TIE Fighter exists, but I was too young to play that. X-Men, I didn't play I mean, PC games till late. I like X-Men um, from The version of that for me is Rogue Squadron 2 Rogue Leader, which I talked about. I really want to play that. I really want to play that because you've talked it up so much. 
it it is just like Ace Combat. Great, but that's what that's really all I want. <laughs> yeah. Um and uh it's great. It's a GameCube launch title, but the other game uh that I think is also a really good adaptation of this is uh Star Wars Episode 1 Pod Racing. Oh man, is that game good? Which takes the best the worst segment of the worst Star Wars no, movie. No, the pod racing sequence is fine in isolation. I don't actually like it. I think it's really badly, like, all of it looks terrible. It looks terrible, but in terms of, like, being a well-constructed, like, there is tension where there should be tension. I don't think there's any tension. No, there's not scene. any tension because the outside context, you don't give a shit who wins, but in terms of, like, a constructed scene, I think it's actually no, fine. like, just straight up, I think they don't do a good job of establishing tension in the action that's happening. What do you mean? Not to turn us into Star Wars talk, but... Like, if you compare the pod race to, like, racing scenes in traditional car movies, I think the pod racing scene's bad. Like, I just don't think it's good in constructing vehicular tension through its... Uh, how it designs its shots and everything. It's, it's not it's not shot that I think well. I think it has, a, like, good, like, poster shots that are good at being exciting, but I don't think it has, like, a flow like a good race should have. Anakin starts at the back, he works his way to the front, and then he has a fight with Sebulba. Yeah, he starts at the back, and then there's the Sebulba weapon thing, and that's really it. The Sebulba weapon thing's pretty stupid. I like but the- if you could if you compare this to like the opening of uh, the final race in Speed Racer. Look, look, okay. <laughs> if you compare anything to the races in Speed Racer, you're not gonna. It's not gonna go well. I'm just saying. <laughs> to compare this to the opening race of Speed Racer, it's a piece of shit. Yeah, well, obviously. <laughs> okay. Okay. Regardless, they made an N64 game that was just a great racing game, but also was unique in that the pod racers are these weird sci-fi chariot uh, analogs where you have two giant engines that are kind of tethered together. Oh, was, I, I should buy that game again for PC. It was so good. And that's, I, I never played that one because it, it's actually the sequel. It's like Racer Sebulba's Revenge is what nope, that's based that, on, I think. That's the PS2 game. Okay. The PC game is actually the N64 game? Yeah, just with slightly better controls. I've played both okay. because I had an N64 emulator. Um, and the thing with, that was really interesting in a pre, like, dual analog stick era is there was a way to play that game where you just use two N64 controllers and each analog stick controlled one of the engines. Yes. So to turn, you had to basically have like battle zone, like tank controls, where you pull one back and pull one forward mm-hmm. to throttle up and down. And that game was awesome. I uh, before it shut down, that used to be in a local arcade in London. Okay, and that's that's pretty. It's it's not a very good arcade game. It actually, works way better on uh, on. A yeah, console. I've never actually played the arcade version it's either. It's way too punishing. It's slightly newer. Uh, the, mm-hmm. Yeah, I I know it's a different game. It's not. Yeah, because what you want is just that game because they got it right first time. Because yeah. the thing that. Uh, the the N64 and I guess the PC version has is there's a lot of there's like a huge upgrade path and it's a lot about managing your racing resources like you have enough pit droids and you have a good engine and you have to replace your engine as it wears out. Yeah, I I love that game. It's yeah, it it's a great like taking a very small picture of a much bigger game and there are episode one games but they're all like lazy. Oh, Star Wars Obi Wan, or just episode one the video game. Oh, that was like a platformer. Was a, it was a it was a third person action adventure game. There was platforming in it, more. So yeah, than... sure, but there was also a lot of running around the plazas of Naboo, cutting down droids with Obi Wan with a lightsaber. Okay, yeah, I was that was PS One only, wasn't it? I think I played it once. Uh, yeah, that's when I, I played that on PS One. I, I I remember playing Obi Wan a lot because that was an Xbox launch title. 
Mm, yeah, I didn't play that. Yo, I assume you, that was also bad. You controlled the um, lightsaber with the right stick. It was a new way of doing combat. Mm. They're still trying to sell people on those lightsaber games every once in a while. Like what? Uh, I don't know. I mean, every that's what that's, that's what they sold Connect on when the Connect came out, right? Oh, lightsaber on. Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess that was several years ago at this point, but still. When's the lightsaber game coming out for the Wii? Huh? Uh, it's called No More Heroes. It's a pretty good game. It's, yeah, it's pretty good. I can't argue with that. <laughs> so is that is that it? I think we've exhausted think we've adaptations. Exhausted. Yep, I think so too. Star Trek Bridge Commander is pretty good. Okay, bye. The thing, the last word is that this is actually a dying genre. Yes. More or less. Because companies realize, like, especially like a movie adaptation, like companies realize that there's no money in that, so they'll just make a mobile game that's not interesting or outside the scope of us talking about stuff because they're usually just free-to-play games or reskins of other popular games. Oh, you should see the terrible Doctor Who um, uh, Match 3 game they have out. Great. No, I don't want to do that ever. Uh, I was thinking of the constant, like, Temple Run clones. Those uh, two. Made by the Temple Run people, to be fair. Maybe not clones. They're just reskins. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but he, you know, even bef- every Disney Where's My Water reskin. Even- and they're all good games, but yeah. they're all just the same game. E- even before that, though, like, the last, like, ten years, adaptations have been a mostly putting this thing on. Oh, like all those Sega Sega Marvel games, like Iron Man or whatever? Yeah, they're all just like putting a thing into this really established game badly. Like, mm-hmm. the early 2000s, late 90s are where you get the most of those. Um, mm-hmm. We have got this thing and we have to make it and translate it into a video game. How do we do that? There is no established language to follow. And that's where the yeah. most interesting ideas come from. And now they don't even bother. And they don't even and bother with anything. I think really good adaptations can still exist and be interesting. You're just, it, it's so, like, you're not going to see it out of big franchises for the most part. No. No. Whew. But I'm sure people will continue to do weird things. Uh, I think, I think there might be a resurgence when you have. I think when they, they start who, going to those smaller studios that are now cropping up. Yeah. yeah. Not only that, but the people who create media, like authors and stuff, are quickly becoming people who grew up playing video games. Mm-hmm. So they would be the kind of people who might want to make that happen, not just for capitalist reasons, but hey, I like video games, I wrote this book, or made this movie, why don't we turn it into a thing? I have this idea of actually capturing this in a video game space, we should do this. Hopefully, yeah. that's what I'm, I'm hoping. And I'm sure there'll be a lot of failures in that, but I want to see them try. Yeah, this is a, you have, yeah. Yep. Yep, 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 yep. Club this month is Roller Coaster Tycoon 2, which is a uh, management game, tycoon game. Is that oh, yeah. a genre? It's a Roller Coaster Tycoon game. Yeah, but tycoon games are themselves a genre. Tycoon right? games are a genre, yes. Okay. Uh, they are the simulator games of the early 2000s and late 90s. Late 90s, specifically. Right. Yeah, um, made in 2002 uh, by Chris Sawyer, uh, published by Infogrames. 
Yes, published by Infogrames. Grams, I, I don't know. Infogram. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> whatever. Got that new Infogrames release. There's a really great, like, m- corporate event, someone belting out an Infogram <laughs> song that I might put at the end of this podcast. <laughs> what? Like, it's obviously at some corporate event, and they got this lady to sing this song about how good Infogram is as, like, a cons, like, this company is, like, awesome, and they make great games, and it's just, like, it's, like, some huge, like, Paul Abdul-esque ballad thing. Can you remember any of the lyrics? No, but I'll find the video, <laughs> right, or I'll find the song and put it in the podcast. I need to see this, or hear this. <laughs> um... In Roller Coaster Tycoon 2, the sequel to Roller Coaster Tycoon, as you might expect, uh, you run a theme park and your goal is to make it good by filling it full of roller coasters, I guess. <laughs> okay, so this is a game that I think everybody who lived in the 90s has some contact with. Yes. One of, like either this one or the first one. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it's at your PCs at school computer labs or as like some friend of yours had it or you had it. It's, it's like the perfect nineties time waster for people who d- thought mist was too complicated. Yep. And we're bored with Oregon trail. Uh, and we're nine. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, we're revisiting it as an attempt to try to, I don't know. Jackson, this uh, is your pick. Why, why did we do this? So I was like, we could do Rollercoaster Tycoon. And you were like, nah, we should, no, no, I was like, I said it as a joke and then we did it, which is how we did Crush Bandicoot. So we should probably stop doing that as a method to choose anything. <laughs> um, <laughs> and the reason I wanted to go back, because I remember it from, I have very strong memories of this game. I have a very strong, like, association with it. I played it at a very specific time. Uh, like, it evokes a sense of childhood that a few other games do. Uh, mm-hmm. It's because we all have those games. This is one of them. I just like for well, you, yeah. For, I've subjected you to so many of mine. It's only fair. Yeah, and the hours being sucked away of just building these theme parks. So for me specifically, it was just designing roller coasters and mm-hmm. fake riding them. Okay. Because uh, um, I had literally no interest in being a tycoon man, Mister Tycoon, and actually doing the scenarios. And designing a park because, like, the game itself, like, we'll get into this, uh, is not designed for what you want to do. Like, it's, it's a weird mess of a game. But, uh, so all the memories I have associated with it are of these kind of weird ways of making the game be what I wanted it to be rather than playing mm-hmm. it as just what it is. Which two affords way more because one is very much here's the game go through these levels, but two added way more sandbox modes. Yeah. And, like, I don't think it's bad for a game to be, here's, like, this tool set, go make your own fun. Uh I think it's a thing that existed way more in the 90s, but it is a thing that exists in simulators, and I guess Tycoon Games as, like, a precursor to simulators. Uh And exists now in, like, survival, Minecraft-type building games. Uh But there's still, like, I still think the... A game with this tool set has, because it creates this formal tool set, has its own set of assumptions and its own faults, even outside of, I think it's perfectly realistic to expect that someone could have this game and have a lot of fun designing a theme park and, you know, building cool roller coasters. But I think the things I want to talk about is how the game doesn't actually gel with its, like, presentation. No. And how it, it falls apart in giving you consistent rule sets for how to deal with this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of this is 
and I'll straight up admit this was true when I was a kid and it's true as an adult. I don't enjoy building roller coasters ever. I enjoyed when I was a kid and I barely built a roller coaster now. I don't, like, I know that that's the draw for people is to make your own roller coaster, but I don't like the interface for doing it. I feel like it's yep. really complicated. It's complicated. It's not fun. It's not efficient. It doesn't actually help you designing your own roller coaster. You just go to the pre-built designs and put one there and because why would Specifically in Roller Coaster Tycoon 2, and we'll, we'll talk about this, I don't think there's any, like, once you're done, it's really hard to be proud of just this tangle of, like, isometric wires that you've strung together and place on the ground. Mm-hmm. Roller Coaster Tycoon 3 gives you at least the benefit of, oh, you can watch what it, what it's like to be in this roller coaster, and I think that's really fundamentally necessary to yeah. make roller coaster building a thing you want to engage with. Yep, Roller Coaster Tycoon 3 is... My favorite of the games now turns out after everyone hated it when it was released. <laughs> um, so here's my trajectory of Roller Coaster Tycoon 2. Uh, in these type of games, I don't like scenarios in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not just Roller Coaster Tycoon. I think this is true of all these types of games where you're given a like a subset of your general rules and told, "Hey, here's a challenge, complete it." And I understand imagine, that they're mostly. Im- imagine if they, Sim they, City was like a series of tiny cities that were already fair, mostly Sim, built. Most Sim Cities actually have like the ones I remember playing have scenarios in them. That's not why you're nobody there. Nobody plays them though. Yeah, you're there to build a thing from scratch. And Rollercoaster Tycoon does not afford very good ways of building things from scratch at all. Uh, you could make a really big park. I think the problem is there isn't enough to its systems to allow you to have a big park. Mm-hmm. And this is the fundamental thrust of why I'm disappointed in Roller Coaster Tycoon is I don't want Roller Coaster Tycoon. I want Theme Park Tycoon. Yeah. Because what I actually want is to make Disneyland. Yeah, because the, like, the, that's where the problem comes in, is that the way you get people to get to your park is to have lots of roller coasters with high excitement, and then you build some, like, you know, uh, small, food, like, peripheral things small around Small peripheral it. things, and then some food places and toilets, and then that's it, and you repeat that over and over again. There's no incentive or even ability to design, like, here's where, here's the area where this goes, and then there's the, like, Actual theme parks and the way they are designed, uh, they have okay. a route through them. They have like a specific like chronology yes. to the way you design them, and that is that's not even present here. But the, okay, so there are two big like schools of thought with theme park design. Okay, there is the Disneyland, which we'll talk about, or Disney World, whatever the Disney stuff, and then there's the Six Flags stuff, and it's really telling that Roller Coaster Tycoon has branded Six Flags <laughs> roller coasters in it because. Six Flags were theme parks across America. I, I'm sure they still exist, but I remember going to one as a kid, and they they were built on. They had one or two big, really expensive, really gimmicky roller coasters, usually wrapped around some sort of uh, licensed property like Batman the Ride, where it's a roller coaster that has a theme, but it's really exciting. And they the entire park is sold on selling you on this is the one place you go in the country to ride this unique roller coaster, and that's what Roller Coaster Tycoon replicates really well yeah which makes sense that there's six flag stuff all riddled throughout roller coaster tycoon 2 mm-hmm. then uh disney theme parks on the other hand are built around taking the all of the disney universe licensed characters and building an experience so it's not like they have rides 
But more as important as the rides is going through, oh, here is Epcot Center, which is full of like educational stuff because Disney was big into this aspirational world of tomorrow stuff in the fifties. Uh, here's all of the costumed characters performing roles and taking pictures and being these characters. Here's like stage shows and stuff like that. Like a, a theme park is built not just on roller coasters as a ride attraction, but on like experiencing, especially branded ones, on experiencing the brand in a bunch of different ways, through, whether it be through stage shows or characters or merchandising. And this, this system just doesn't replicate any of that. And I understand why that's hard. It's mm-hmm. really hard to do. Yeah. But Disney is like, it's like a little self-contained world that reflects the Disney characters and the Disney ethos that people are drawn to when they like Disney stuff. Yeah. You like prince, you like Disney princesses, so you like the gowns and you like the castles and you like this idea of magic and believing in things. And they cr- very carefully create a very manicured world that is this ideal version of perfect. And some people might rebel against that and that's definitely a thing in our culture where people see disney world and they're like oh that's kind of creepy like it's too manufactured I mean, it is but i mean i don't i don't, I don't necessarily agree but whatever it, it like there but there's people who buy it. like it's a real aesthetic yeah. choice it's, it's a thing that some people like some people don't but it's there and roller coaster does tycoon doesn't have any of that because it's not what it's concerned with it's concerned with anchoring roller coasters and making a theme park around it i mean it, it, it is a concern with numbers is this is the roller coaster that people want to go in because it is fast and you go down hills and stuff it is a very mm-hmm. mechanical game and a very emotionless approach to theme parks and when i remember going to theme parks when i was a kid the big one i went to uh, there's a bunch around me i actually live near three massive theme parks in the uk i live mm-hmm. round the corner from chessington world of adventures which yeah there you go Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, was uh, Legoland. I went to Legoland a bunch. Uh, okay. and my memories of Legoland are because be- I hate roller coasters. They're terrible. Why would I ever go on them? They're not fun. I love that. There was one that I went on in Legoland, but that was like the kids' one that mm. was barely a thing. I am a big baby, so I've actually never been on a roller coaster. They're terrible. I've, I, I, when I went with my school, they maybe go on the, the proper roller coaster, which is giant. I get, I get freaked out by Ferris wheels. I'm not getting on a roller coaster. Yep. That, like, there was this, there was this one called the Dragon. I lost my hat. I was terrified. I was screaming. Uh, once I went on one of those big swinging boats and wanted to die. So yeah, why would I ever go on them? Um, but the things I remember and what was like evocative about them was the sense of place and the, uh, the journey throughout the day that it was different each time it wasn't like a single thing but like mm-hmm. we went to this thing and we saw the the mini land which is a bunch of things recreated in lego and then yeah. we did the we went and to the climbing wall and we went through the maze and there's all these like it's an, what it is is this uh park in which you can have a specific experience in day uh it's not at all about the excitement of the roller coasters. It's I mean, way more that's part of it. And some people are really into that. Yeah. But a theme, like a theme park as a thing is about selling people the most pure version of your, the dream that is represented in like your marketing. Yes. Like there's a reason why like when you wish upon a star was like the theme for Disney theme parks. Cause it was about this idea of, yeah, you go here and all the dreams that we're oh, selling you and all of our still media. All their adverts. Yes. Yeah. This is the place where all those things, like, we can get the closest to making it real. I remember. And maybe that's not for everyone, but it works. And it's a real thing. And it's an, it would be an interesting thing to interact with. The problem is a systemized management game. Like, I don't think there's any way to actually do that. I don't think a game today could replicate that. I think you could try. I don't know how you do it, but. It, like appro- approaching like theme park satisfaction and designing the space for people coming in, uh, 
from a like a more emotional perspective than mm. uh, raw numbers and excitement and this is the best thing because it goes the fastest way would be mm. really interesting i'd like to see someone try but it's really hard to and even approach that so much of this is also because it's so numbers driven so many of the things that are part of a theme park design just don't matter like, you were talking about the flow of an adventure through this space. Like, you start yeah. at the beginning and you follow the path around. But it's also, like, you can hire entertainers, but they're not... in. Like, my favorite part is all of the dumb entertainer costumes. I think it's the cutest thing in the game. I love them. I Make just want to fill elephants. my park with entertainers. Yep. Uh, but they don't actually do much. You can get your groundskeepers and they'll, like... One of their tasks is to mow the lawn. You never want them to mow the lawn. Because having a manicured lawn does nothing for you in, like, the base number-crunching mechanics of the game. Nope. And not even having, like, well-designed, like, seating... Like, sometimes you'll load up a, like, a pre-made park and there'll be, like, a seating area. And you're like, mm-hmm. that could be space to put a roller coaster. I need to put all the roller coasters here right now. Yeah. Why is that Real there? Real theme park design is more about aesthetics and about yes. a sense of flow and place than it is about wrenching the pure amount of excitement. That's why theme parks are huge and expensive money pits because it takes a lot of space and a lot of careful planning to create a space that people enjoy work going through. Mm-hmm. And you can put the money sucks in there and like, here's the gift shop and here's the big expensive ride and here's the ticket at the door, which is really expensive. But so much of it has to be these things that aren't purely numbers driven and a game like this can't, put that it doesn't put weight into creating those things nope the only thing it puts weight into is to make sure you have a lot of bathrooms and trash cans and maintenance men to clean up puke so you don't have a bunch of puke yeah, on your wall th- apart aside from roller coasters those are the only things is make sure they're yeah. sick everywhere and make sure people can get food and throw up yep it's it's a shame because uh the, the like the main attraction of like the mechanics is the designing roller coasters and that's mm-hmm. kind of irrelevant in terms of like the systems at play. So, because the only reason you'd want to design a thing is if the aesthetics of the thing matters, but mm-hmm. they don't. So you just buy the one. We'll with talk the... about this because I have yeah. I have an idea of how you make a, a theme park okay. game that does these things, but we'll get to it later. I want to talk about Roller Coaster Tycoon Three for a little bit. Okay. So Roller Coaster Tycoon Three was a 2004 game. Uh, it's in 3D now. Uh, as opposed to the 2D isometric viewpoint of Roller Coaster Tycoon 1 and 2. Um, it adds a bunch of stuff. Uh, well, okay, the game is still the same real game loop. Like, it doesn't change that much, really. You spent more time with it than I did, but it doesn't seem particularly different to no, me. No, it's the same game. Okay. But it, uh, especially in all these packages you're buying with them with all of their expansions, uh, Roller Coaster Tycoon 3 adds the ability to build buildings that aren't, like, just build basically like pre-constructed buildings that aren't meant for here is like a burger stand you can just make a house make a castle whatever just put it there to be there yeah um and its expansions also add water like water shows like you can do like a laser show at the water park kind of thing which is Mm -hmm. a very real thing um or the one of the expansions is like a animal pack not quite as not quite zoos but it does have animal enclosures and animal minders and stuff like that yep and I think all of that stuff is really interesting because, like, building houses is not intrinsically tied to being good at the game. It is totally an aesthetic addition, but I think it's a really important one to be able to design more theme around your park. Yeah, because there's zero theme in Rollercoaster Tycoon 2. Yeah. I mean, you can change the color of your coasters, and there's there's some dress-up stuff. Like, you can put that giraffe statue down. 
over and over and over again. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but then Roller Coaster Tycoon 3 has, like, you can build a giant, here's, like, a huge brick building, next is Roller Coaster, and there's also, like, the oil derrick that explodes when people drive past a certain part on the coaster that's meant to be this repeatable event that looks really cool. Yeah. And it gives you more flavor stuff to spice up a theme park and theme parks are full of that like a a ride is not just the excitement on going on a ride and pulling sick g's it's also like being exposed to these really designed experiences that have a flow and like climaxes and resting periods yeah there's no emphasis on tension in Mm -hmm. the like the way it rewards ride design which is a shame because like that's more important than whether it just has a big drop or not I mean, they have, like, a here-is-a-tower-of-terror kind of building that you can make. But it doesn't, like, explain to you why that's exciting. Wait, would you... This... No, I mean, I mean like, in the roller coaster design, like... I know, but in, like, I think Tower of Terror is the most perfect example of a ride that's all about the tension. Yep. Uh, so I use that as the key, like, shorthand here. Mm-hmm. Um... But it does add a really useful feature in that you can first-person camera into your roller coaster. It's the best thing. It's the best, dumbest thing, and they implemented it in the worst way, which is actually the best way. Yeah. <laughs> so you can you can watch the viewpoint of someone in the roller coaster, but it is clearly like someone debugged a camera into the little people who ride in the roller coaster and just put a camera in someone's head. Because as you're rolling, riding on this thing, you can see around the environment because now it's 3D and it's not too hard to do that. But the person's head is just clipping through the camera. Mm-hmm. Like it'll obscure your view over and over again. And it's this really charming early 3D thing where it's clear that they did not have the polish to make the thing that they wanted to make. And the, but be- uh, the aesthetics but, are great. Like the, but because, the, no, because yeah, of yeah. that, there's a real aesthetic charm to having a yeah. thing that's more evocative and impressionistic yeah. than it is concrete to reality. And this is, this is a thing we're definitely going to talk about next podcast where we talk about Final Fantasy VII because it's the exact same thing. Oh yes, when they're very have, similar. When you have early 3D, early 3D was incapable of being realistic and thus if someone tried to make something that was more abstracted and allowed you to fill in the gaps it was often way more evocative and and like because uh the game itself goes for this like carefree tone like all the people screaming or like yeah roller coasters yay when you go into the the first person view and see all the other people with their ridiculous like drawn on circle mouths going (gasps) and all the screaming as you go along it just adds to the tone of the game yeah. And allows, like, because riding in a fake roller coaster that you've just built isn't inherently interesting or adds anything. I mean, it's uh-huh. cool to see the progression of the ride, but that's basically it. But, like, because of the, like, the old 3D design and the fact that it's this low poly thing that works when you zoom in because there's nothing to zoom into, mm-hmm. uh, it makes going down to the park's level actually feel like you're experiencing what you've built because it's all impressionistic. You don't feel like you're seeing a crappy version of something you should be looking down on. Mm-hmm. Which, I, like, it ends up working out way better than it has any right to, and I don't think you could replicate that today with a game that would look as good as, like, because they're making a new one, and I'm going to play it, so... Yeah. Who knows? And it, it at least it looks cartoony, like, that's a boost, but I don't know. Um, did you play Roller Coaster Tycoon 4? Yeah. Okay. Explain to me what that is, because I didn't. So and elucidate the people at home. It's it's just a mobile game with like energy bars and things and. Is it, does it look like two? No, 
kind of. It's isometric. So, But is it, it like a crappy, like, animated Flash version of 2? Yeah, it's like a, The Sims Facebook game, whatever. Like, the, it's about building things, but to build things, it takes time. And then to get time, you press... It's, 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 it's terrible. It's appalling. It's just a... I dragged the hamburger stand to the... It's grid... It's way more grid-based. Uh-huh. Like, it, um... The like, roller coaster tycoon is tile-based, but this is grid-based. It's like, this goes here. This goes... There's barely a design. It's just drag the thing to the thing and then wait for the meter to fill up. It's the most empty game possible. People were angry. Oh, really? Oh, people were very angry. People were probably specifically angry that they called it 4. Because if they called it that world and then the next one 4... They'd have mm-hmm. not shot themselves in the foot as much as they have. Yes. Because Christ. Yeah, the next Roller Coaster Tycoon is World and is supposedly a more traditional Roller Coaster Tycoon experience. There's still going to be microtransactions and stupid stuff in there a little bit. Um, there can't not. I mean, like, if you did it more like a Sims model, I don't think that's necessarily I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. Though I do, like, hearing about the Sims 4, I am on their behalf. Like, you've taken all the interesting stuff out and put it in... I specifically games that are about these uh, deliberate capitalist systems then taking parts of those systems out and putting them into real money makes the like act of interacting with that system less valuable and interesting yeah I mean you're not wrong so that's my worry though. that's why I feel a bit disappointed about how The Sims has gone okay but I also don't hold Rollercrest Tycoon and as interesting a regard in its like tycoon systems like the design game first and that's probably why i'm disappointed in it sure because as a numbers maximizer you can maximize numbers so uh yeah i mean you're not yeah yeah so what would you do to make roller coaster tycoon the thing you want it to be i've but I have no idea because I could say what I want, but I don't actually know how to achieve that. Like, I want it to have a strong emphasis on aesthetics, mm-hmm. on like uh, people's emotional states as they go into the park, and how one uh, ride affects their emotional state as they continue through the day. Mm-hmm. Um, I like basically allowing different paths and easy access to things that progress from each ride to each ride. Uh-huh. Like, you put this next to this, because people who come out of this might want this, or they might want to go over here. Like, you'd want to focus on that. Uh, I'd want way more focus on it looking good, and you have to make sure the park is in keeping with your theme. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know how you'd achieve any of those things, and systemize them. So the only way I can think of, and it would never work because it requires too much of a player base to achieve, is you have Rollercoaster Tycoon, the next one, whatever, uh, as a game that you can buy. But there's also a free version, and the way that your progress is driven is by pe- actual players going through your park and saying it is good. That and the free version allows anybody to go through the parks that are built and rate them and see what they like. That wouldn't work. I know it wouldn't work. Like, it would work in a dream world. In a, yeah, like I said, it absolutely wouldn't work. But I think that's the only way to achieve it, because I don't think a computer can simulate the things that a theme park does well. No, but I think they can try. I'd like to see them try. But it has to be, like, if they're going to, they need to stop making, here's a guy who walks in and he's got $75 and, oh, he's hungry. Oh, this ride's too expensive. Like, they need to really simulate the experience. The The onus is on the person going into the park, how you simulate their interactions with the space. Yeah. 
So you have to make it so they recognize that these two things together are interesting or beautiful. And then they respond to that and they follow the path that your signage points out because you have to put in signage to point people in the right direction. And I think you could try to simulate that. I think, like, but I think, I think I, the, like the in a perfect, of, in a perfect yeah. world, the way to do this is to have actual humans walk through your park. Maybe. I kind of disagree on that. I don't think that adds much. I think it, I think that's, I think it changes be, the relationship between the person and the game. I think that that makes it a very different thing. And you're, you're making something to be judged rather than something. All, as, all capitalist and interac- like a theme park is made for no, people to love to go through it. Sure. But, uh, like if it was a, like an, if you had, you had an understand, you need to have an understanding of what the people want. Like, th- that's not how real capitalism works, but any interest, like any game that is satisfying and uses that, uh, mechanism in the system, you know more about how people are going to react to things that you do than the real world. There's way less guesswork. Like in SimCity, if you put all the roads down where people want the roads, people are going to be way happier. Uh, like it is a far greater certainty and understanding of how people React that removes. I don't think. I don't think. I don't think it's wrong to have a game that has all that uncertainty in its building, though. I don't think it's wrong. I just think that's uh, not. I don't, I don't think that's what I want from Rollercoaster Coaster Tycoon. I think that's a more social experimenty game. Sure, because then you can have a a place that has great roller coasters, but people don't like it because the theme's wrong. Or you could have like the reason like the Harry Potter theme park works is has nothing to do with any of the rides on it. I don't even know what they are. It's the fact that it's a Harry Potter theme park. No, but you, you can go. Yo, you can go to Diagon Alley. Yeah, that is the this that is the little big planet Mario World one one of theme parks. <laughs> it exists to- <laughs> and is popular because it is a thing people recognize, and it gives them a chance to engage with it in a way they otherwise wouldn't. Would be able you to. like a wand? Yeah. And I think making a game that puts value on that sort of recognizing what people actually respond to and creating towards that, a really interesting thing. I, I would like to see that. Like, Little Big Planet, as an example, sells itself on, oh, you can create anything. But in reality, if you wanted to create a thing that was successful, if the game mechanics tied making a thing that people wanted to play through with your advancement and being, like, good at it, I think emphasizing the idea that you have to appeal to people's sensibilities a really interesting thing to put in a game. But everyone would hate it. I think that's part of our perception of what games are and not a fault of the game. True. But if you're making a specific... I think this applies better to this imaginary tycoon game, which is specifically about capitalism rather than little big planet which is specifically about creativity or at least but little big planet isn't about creativity because i mean sure it is but a lot of the highest voted stuff is just here's a thing that you recognize in level form yeah but like the 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 way they've designed the the um what it what's it the creator tool whatever the, that's yeah. called the game the design tool and that if you're not upload you most people probably aren't uploading things like for other people they're just here's a level i run through with me and my friends sure there's a way different emphasis there on the intent of the level and like because even in this game like in rollercoaster tycoon if you're playing against an audience the audience takes the role of the judging uh like public whereas in little big planet that doesn't exist so Mm. i think little big planet is way more about creativity it just has when you take it online it has that element and adds that but as a game in and of itself, that's a game about doing whatever to stuff. I just, I think I disagree. I think, I think this idea could totally be interesting. I think it'd also be a failure for sure, but. Yeah. 
I mean, I'd like to see things like this, but I don't know in what context or who, if anyone would ever try it. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's just the only way I could think of to make the things that we've talked about as being important to us work. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. We'll never know. They, pro- they probably wouldn't, but it would be cool. We shall never know. segment four uh we would do questions normally but we don't have any because uh people are bad at sending us questions we did try to come up with questions to ask ourselves we spent 20 minutes (laughs) off the mic talking about (laughs) things to maybe ask us as questions and it just ended up with both of us having an existential crisis which if you've been paying attention is how this goes all the time it really does it's pretty great um, instead, I, I have a thing that I wanted to kind of complain about, because, uh... So, I, I buy a lot of impulse bundle nonsense, because video games are terrible in 2014, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of bundles, mm-hmm. and it's hard to say no. But this week, Groupies, which has bundles, did a really gross thing where they were like, in two days, we're going to release this bundle. We're not going to tell you what it is, but you could pre-order the bundle now for a dollar. And when it comes out, it'll be two dollars. And I did it. Because of course I did, because I'm an idiot. (laughs) You mock! They got you! The thing that's super gross is this idea that bundles are a commodity at this point to where the idea of a bundle for half off, not knowing what the games even are, is a thing that actually gets people, including me, to buy into it. Like, what have we done to the idea of selling a video game? We have destroyed it. Capitalism has ruined thoroughly the value on which we put things. Wait, hang on. You know what? Like, in terms of bundles, how they affect, like, the people making games is the saddest thing, because the the games that go in bundles are usually the people who are struggling to find an audience and find money, and Mm -hmm. they are just abused by the system in order to... uh, Like, the people who make money from the bundles are the people that put the bundles together. As always, it is the facilitators. Like, every time. That's what happens. That's how this works. Yeah. You're not wrong. Uh, I buy a lot of bundles, and you know what the worst part of bundles is? I don't play any of the games I buy in a bundle. Ever. They just exist on a shelf that someday... I, I have, like... 300 Desera games. I don't think I've ever booted a game off of Desera in my entire life. <laughs> I've booted a game a couple times off Desera, but not not often. That's not true. I booted one, the Bridge Constructor game or whatever. I should. I did play that. That game's weird. It's like World of Goo, but more what I wanted from World of Goo. It's true. It's better than World of Goo. Anyway, it's <laughs> really rude. But accurate. <laughs> yeah, it was me being rude. You were the one that did it in a more backhanded way. 
<laughs> yes, as is the way of this podcast goes. Nobody's surprised by this. It's true. I'm secretly the mean one. It's not, even, not secretly. even secretly. It's not secret. But uh, yeah, I think that's. I kind of want to just start buying bundles. You need to I, I try. I need you to. need to stop buying I, things in sales as well. You like the the actual way to no, do business. No, I'm actually okay with buying games no, no, in sales. Not, not because no. that's bad, but I'm saying the actual way to probably do business is to just oh, buy the thing. Buy when games you play when it. I want to play them. Yes. yes, like I want to play this game. Pay money to play the game. Done. Like that because you do things on. Yeah, I would buy way less games. And for sure. you do things on such a this to this to this basis. The, oh, where I have a plan of where yeah, I'm going. Th- that would work for you, and also you would be able to play way more things because your decision of what to play wouldn't be based on what you have in your log. My paralysis yeah, syndrome. Exactly. <sighs> if You're right. only. I'm not going to stop, though. I mean, I pre-ordered Final Fantasy XIII for PC, and I own that on PS3 and 360. <laughs> yeah, but so did I, and so do I, so... <laughs> What if I want I mean, to record it? To be it? fair, I have I have the flimsy but real excuse that I'm going to let's play that. Yeah, like kind of me too. I'm not, but but, but I, that's just me turning the thing I love into work, and that's its own problem. <laughs> yep. I mean, and in this case, thirteen specifically, it's not even a thing I love. It's a thing I actively disliked and stopped playing twice already. <laughs> that I'm going to try to turn I'm into gonna, work. I already played thirty-two hours of that. And I'm going to play the whole thing. Oh God, why? What's wrong with me? I don't know what's wrong with you, but I have the same problem. So <laughs> let me know. Whatever it is, whatever we're it is. damned together. Yep. Ha. That's all. I should stop buying bundles at the very least. Sales, I am I'm probably never gonna stop buying sales, but bundles there's never anything in a bundle I actually want. I'm just buying it because it's a bundle. I bought games in bundles I want. I I I used to, but I feel like I ran out of that. Like, the actual games that I want on my wish list on Steam that I think look interesting and I want to play, never in bundles. Race the Sun. Yeah, I bought that three days before on a GOG sale and I felt okay about That's that. That's good. I mean, I and I literally bought that bundle for Race the Sun because I already own all the other games yeah. and now can't give them away. Oh yeah, if you're an actual <laughs> listener of this podcast, this is the real test. <laughs> if you send Jackson a DM, he will or give just, you a copy just of Gone Home. reply me because you can't DM if we're not Oh right, playing. follow him so he can DM you the code though. Yes. And uh, I have codes of Gone Home um what are the, uh, the bridge? Gone Home, the bridge, Monaco and What's the other one? There was there was one more, wasn't it? There was one or more. Was gunpoint? No, the other gunpoint one was the fifth one. Okay. Hang on, I'm going to load up the thing now. Okay, we're going to cut this out. Okay. Yes, uh, of gun home, uh, gun home, of gun home, the bridge, Monaco, and papers, please. If you want a- yeah. any of those, I can hit you up. With you can guns. only get one for the record. You can only get one. But if you at reply Jackson and let him know which one you want, uh, he will give it to you. Yeah. On Steam. This is our this is our test for actual listeners. There, these are literally free games. They activate on Steam. You can have them. You can have them. Take them. Play Gone Home. Please. I, you should. The problem is anyone who's listened to this has played Gone Home. Don't play Monaco. <laughs> you can have a free copy of Monaco. If I could give you my <laughs> copy of Monaco, I would. <laughs> yep. We don't want to play Monaco, but you can. Some people really like that game. It's not us. It's true, someone's told me about the ending, and I've kind of forgotten the details, but it sounded cool. 
Mm, it sounded cool in like a 2007 kind of way. Yes. Which, which I mean, to be fair, it's when that game started development. Oh, really? No, I don't know. But <laughs> that game was on IGF for like five years running. Is why I say that. I'm being snide and mean. That's not like, that's not like if, you. If people involved in Monaco are listening to this, I, sh- I that was out of turn and I apologize. If you aren't listening to this, fuck you. Your game's... <laughs> I was... <laughs> I'm just digging... I'm just digging into it now. I'm the worst. We need to end this. Sigh. So, next month is our one year anniversary. <laughs> For one thing, uh... That's a good horn fanfare, actually. Yeah. Good job. Yeah, thanks. Um, and we are playing Dishonored. Yes, Dishonored. Yes, with a voiced H and a U in there, <laughs> Voice clearly. A- Dishonored. 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 Honor. Honor. It's like Herb, right? You just say the H. You don't say the H in Herb. No, Americans say Herb. That's not the word, though. You didn't know that? I've heard it, but I thought that was like a specific regional thing. I don't think you all said oh. No, no, no. It's, it, there's a silent H in some American, like honor and herb. And there's a couple more, like hour. I mean, hour. We say hour. We say yeah, hour. Like the hour of the clock. We say hour. Yeah. The hour. Yeah. Guess what? English is really messy being a Germanic language that was, had French laid over it. English a is actually a really bad language. We should have all, like, Hundreds of years ago, we should have decided that another language can be a dominant one because our language sucks. It's actually not very useful. They almost made German the official language of the United States back in the day. Ah, and you could have had like words that build up on top of each other to ridiculous lengths. Germans are silly. We still language. do that. Yeah, but not as German is. No, we Lego. just portmanteau like crazy. Yeah. We don't smash words together without taking some letters out. Mm-hmm. I don't know that's right. But we're playing Dishonored, which I'm actually really excited about. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're playing through the entire game, including the DLCs. Uh, specifically the two main narrative ones. I don't, I think one of the DLCs might be just challenge maps, and if that's the case, we probably won't be doing that one. But we haven't done enough research to know for sure. I bought the, the uh, game of the year edition, so I, I don't know. I'll play through the game and yeah. I'll just see. Yeah, that's the version I have too, but. Um, if people are playing along at home, they might not have that and want to know what they're playing True. or whatever. True. And, uh, come back for that. I hope we'll like it more than this last game, but who knows? Cause neither of us know how we're going to respond to this at all. It's true. It's true. One year of this, of this podcast. The, if one thing we've learned in this year is that you never can tell how you're going to feel about video games. It goes to show. Thank you. <laughs> no problem. So, plugs. Oh, yeah. Jackson, where can people find you? On the internet. What, what's your Twitter? Uh, Talia002, T-Y-L-E-A-002, on the Twitter. And what is your podcast? Abnormal Mapping, and also Trashback Ratio. Which is a podcast about... Movies. And you can find that at... TrashbackRatio.com And on... iTunes eventually. <laughs> Have you not done that yet? Nope. No. Wow. Great. I sent you the link and everything. You did, and then I was gonna, and then I didn't. <laughs> okay. Um, you can find me at LitRock, L-I-T-R-O-C-K. Uh, you can find Abnormal Mapping Let's Plays on our YouTube channel. 
Uh, I don't remember what the thing is for that. The URL actually isn't youtube.com slash abnormal mapping. That's not how YouTube works. What? I, I know I was said that for like four podcasts in a row, and then I looked, and that actually doesn't lead to anything. Hang on. Um, I think it might be user slash abnormal mapping. What is wrong with YouTube? Yeah, I know. It's not how YouTube works. YouTube was made in 2004 or six. one of those. What do you want? It's not user slash abnormal mapping either. You know, it's, I think it's just like a weird thing you'd never actually give someone as a URL to remember. Okay, so... But if you go to YouTube and put Abnormal Mapping, you'll find me talking over video games. We're into the era where I had the current computer I have now. I was still using Windows Movie Maker, but I do have a computer that can run things at a reasonable resolution. It's true. <laughs> uh, and uh, on the website, abnormalmapping.com, on iTunes, we're on Stitcher. I wanted to point that out. If you're a Stitcher person, you can find us there. Yep, you can, and you should. And uh, I have a book club podcast, uh, booksorcrooks.tumblr.com. It's not really a podcast. We just record the book club that we I run and put it up. It's very informal. That's the most casual. Uh, yeah, because it's literally people on their webcam mics. I can't force them to use a real microphone. Whereas I told Jackson to go buy like a $60 microphone to do this podcast. He did, and I did. Yeah. I have a pop screen. It's nice microphone, but I'm a bad friend. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll see you next month for Dishonored Halloween. Who's got two thumbs and is going to stab people? In the face and neck. Dishonor. Uh, 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 uh. Rest in peace, Ryan Davis. It's NASCAR heat, Tonka Town. Stuntman makes my hair spin round. Beachhead transfer, Freddy Five. Unreal tournament, test drive. Survivor, civilization. Superman saves the nation. In sync hotline, Dragon Ball. Alone in the dark, and that's not all.